Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. So I want to talk to you about peace uh, because throughout the nativity scriptures and story, this theme keeps coming up again and again. It's a part of the message, the heralding, that peace has come, um, not just when the angels showed up, um, but 700 years prior through a prophet named Isaiah to the nation of Israel as they are losing their freedom and going into captivity. There comes this promise, this prophetic hope that someday there would be a rescuer. Um, their terminology was anointed one or a Mashiach or a Messiah. And so you begin to start seeing this Messiah take shape throughout Isaiah's prophecies. But these are not unique to Isaiah. They're all throughout the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when we see the first prophetic promise that there would be a rescuer coming, specifically through the birth of a baby. And so Isaiah in chapter 9 uh, records this. He says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, there's so much in this prophetic promise as Israel begins to look with longing uh, for this Redeemer, this Prince of Peace that would come. And what he would establish was a new government, a new ruling and reigning. And right alongside this new um, reign is this promise of peace that's going to reign forever and ever and ever. And so for us to understand what this means, we have to create some definition around the word peace. Now, peace is a very common yet profound Hebrew word, um, and it's the word shalom. Uh, if you go to Israel today, it's a common greeting uh, that's used all the time, and it's peace to you. Uh, but shalom throughout the scriptures is used like that, it's used as a greeting, but the, the deeper and richer meaning behind it is this idea that everything is in its right order. It's this picture of completeness or wholeness, which is, is different. The reason we're saying this is different than our Western interpretation of peace, which is absence of conflict um, or tranquility. Um, and it can encompass those things, but I think it has a larger implications that things that are out of order are put as they should be. Things that are broken are put right. And so the greatest picture we have of Shalom is the Garden of Eden. It's where we see everything operating in its right order. And God gives this command to the man and the woman to go and to steward, to bring things into their right order, to create and to build and to cultivate around it. That Shalom is not just a state of being, it's this 
active participation within God's divine order to create the world he always intended. This is very rich and beautiful word. Uh, this week, uh, my son came to me and said, Dad, I want to build a rocket. Um, I'm like, sweet, let's build a rocket. And so he's obsessed with my tools. And so we go and we take out my toolbox and he lays out all these screwdrivers and wrenches and things like that and a level. And we start looking around our garage and we take a skateboard and, uh, and a boogie board and we like tape it to each other in a car seat and we just make a rocket and he calls it turbo. And so we, we go out to our cul-de-sac and I'm pulling his rocket. And the best part is right before we go to the cul-de-sac, without my knowing, he goes and puts on his astronaut um, costume. And it was just this epic moment as a dad, as I'm watching my son engage this innate sense that he has to want to take things and put it in order to take things that were disheveled in the garage and to put it in such a way that it could take flight. And I think that when I talk about peace in the next few minutes, I want us to have that in mind, specifically in the year that we're having right now, as things feel so out of order, they feel disjointed and broken, that this Prince of Peace came and is about shalom a wholeness and completeness and putting things together in the right order for the flourishing of God's kingdom and his creation. So now that we have that definition, I wanted to draw uh, our attention to three observations from this text, just two verses, but in these two verses, there's so much going on. Number one is that the Prince of Peace promises reconciliation. Reconciliation, this is a kind of a more spiritual, cosmic level um, understanding of what is God doing as the Prince of Peace. Second, the Prince of Peace produces righteousness. Um, this is talking about the social and relational implications of what peace brings. And lastly, the Prince of Peace provides rest, which is our, our soul level, personal uh, implications around this. And so we're going to take a look at this rich passage and my hope is that we'd walk away from today, uh, not just with more knowledge, but with more peace because of the knowledge that we have in the Prince of Peace. So number one, the Prince of Peace promises reconciliation. Um, and, and again, this is this, this term reconciliation of bringing things, um, be, making relationships reconciled. Um, I just want to out of the gate say this is a large topic. This is a huge 30,000 foot view of what the Prince of Peace came to do. And before we can talk about probably where we want to get to, like what does this mean for me individually? We have to uh, ask ourselves a question. What is happening here at a larger scale? What's taking place here um, at, um, at a cosmic level that this Prince of Peace is bringing? What order is he bringing? And in order to do that, I want to just kind of tell a story of why this is so important. Um, recently, at, actually at Thanksgiving, we're having a conversation uh, with uh, our brother and sister, and, and we're talking about our engagement stories. And we're laughing and cracking up because we remember the day so differently. Uh, leading up to the day I proposed to Jen, there was a ton of preparation that she had no idea was going on. I'm saving up 
every um, dollar that I can as a janitor at, at a church. Um, and the whole time I'm asking if she can buy dinner that night. And she was making more money than me for sure. But I was kind of riding that train because what she didn't know is I was trying to save up money for a ring. When we went to go visit her family, she thought we were visiting her family, but I was there to ask her dad's permission. Um, leading up to the day, the night before I gave her a poem, and she thought it was a poem, but it was actually lyrics to a song I was going to sing her to the next, the next day to propose. The day leading up to it, we're having breakfast with friends, and my mentor, who knows I'm proposing the night, literally starts poking fun at her. He's like, hey, when's, when's Benji going to ask the question? You know, when are you guys going to get married? And I'm literally, literally kicking him under the table. I'm like, stop it. Um, and the reason I say all that is we show up to this banquet where I'm going to propose to my future wife and she's frustrated because I've felt distant, um, because I've caused her frustration. And the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm like, if she only knew what was going on behind the scenes. And the reason I tell that story is because when we think about peace, Oftentimes, we have such a myopic view of it that we fail to realize that there's an entire world going on behind the scenes of what God is doing that we can just miss. Peace, first and foremost, is about this massive chasm between God and his creation that through the coming of Jesus is being brought back together. This massive cosmic and spiritual fracture is being healed because Jesus has come. Now, I want you to listen to some of the verses, um, the other verses in, in the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and how it describes peace. And again, we'll, we'll get to what this means at an individual level, but look at this, this larger scale. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, talking about Jesus on the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So here's the, Isaiah 53 talks about the peace that God's doing is an atonement peace. And atonement is this fancy word of making uh, and making things right because justice is served and evil is vanquished. But rather than it being done in the way we think, Jesus actually takes that upon himself. That's the beauty of the atonement is that he makes a way for us to be back with God. And so that's, that's the piece we see in Isaiah 53. Jeremiah, in chapter 33, is talking about the nation of Israel. And he says, nevertheless, and again, they're in captivity. They've been captured. I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed and against me and I will forgive all the sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, honor before all nations of earth that hear all the good things I do. And they will be, I love this line, they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. So this is God speaking to Israel, says, listen, I'm going to bring you back to me, 
And it's going to be in such a powerful way that people will look on not only with awe, but they will literally tremble at the amount of prosperity and shalom, peace, that I have brought everything back into order. And um, in Luke 20, in, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 2, uh, 13 through 14, with this view in mind, the larger cosmic spiritual view of the atoning work of Christ's coming. Listen to Luke chapter 2. It says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. What? Peace. For those whom his favor rests. The announcements of the angels to the shepherds is what? It's peace, shalom. Emmanuel has come. Jesus is born. The, the massive fracture in our universe and in our humanity is being brought back together. He's the prince of peace. And the, the government and the peace that he brings will never end. It's continuing to perpetuate. And so, again, before we can dive into the implications of what this means for us personally, let's just remember the, the good news, the gospel, that when Jesus showed up, it was with an announcement of shalom, of peace, that the, the longings we have in our lives are being brought back together because first and foremost, God has brought us back together through Jesus. And you might be sitting here and being like, well, what's the point? Like, what if I don't believe in God? What if I don't, what if I don't agree that there's some sort of cosmic fracture in our humanity or the universe? Well, let me just encourage you to think about this. Every fracture you experience in a relationship, every broken heart, every offense and disappointment is a signpost to a greater fracture that all of us have between us and our creator. Every fracture that we have in our, in our understanding of justice, our, the fractures we have in the world, in our own bodies that are frail and are breaking, all of these are signposts pointing towards the greatest sense of brokenness that we see all the way back in Genesis 3. And this is why the announcement that the angels brought to the shepherds was, listen, he has come to bring us back together, to bring peace. Such good news. Uh, Colossians 1.19 says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to what? Reconcile to himself, bring back to himself all things, whether things on earth or things are in heaven, by making what? Peace through his bloodshed on the cross. That Jesus' incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection was an act of peace. It was an act of reconciliation. Which leads to our, our second point that we see here in the text. Verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9 says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. Now remember, David's throne was the pinnacle of Israel's history. It was when they experienced the most prosperity and flourishing and peace. And this Messiah who would come, this child who would be born, would bring about this on David's throne, would bring about a government of peace that would never end. And listen to how he describes it. He says, with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Justice and righteousness. 
Now, if you've read the Old Testament, you see these words paired together quite often. It's the words mishpat and sedekah. And mishpat and sedekah are brought together to create, um, I I would say, the framework for God's um, desire for the world. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness, I want, um, when you think about that, think about right relationships. There's not an oppressor in a, and someone who's oppressed. Uh, there's not someone who is a dictator and someone who is subservient. The, it's right relationship. People understanding the flourishing of what should be. And then justice. And I don't want you to think about just punitive justice or retributive justice, um, but redemptive justice. This idea that not only that you're paying back a debt, but you're paying over what's due and making sure there's equity and equality. And so throughout the Old Testament, these terms, mishpat and tzedakah, righteousness and justice are paired together to talk about this is what happened when, when God reigns and his people live under his rule and reign. The minute people step away from God's heart and design for humanity, what is the first thing that we, we lose? Mishpat and Sedeka, righteousness and justice. Relationships are broken. People are oppressed. And right now in the world, 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, we still experience an absence of Mishpat and Sedeka, of righteousness and justice. Uh, one of the things that this year has brought about more than just the, the pandemic of this virus is there is this deep yearning for people in our country and around the world that says things are still not right. There is still a sense of deep injustice and a sense of a lack of recognizing humanity and dignity. Um, again, whether that's how we talk to people, it's, 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 we see in the political spectrum, we've seen it in the social spectrum uh, with, with race and the racial injustice that's going on um, in our country and around the world, that one of the things we have to recognize is the Prince of Peace came to bring about what? Righteousness and justice. To bring about an order in the world for human flourishing, not for some, but for everyone. Why? Not, not because of some political view, but because of a theological view called the Imago Dei, that every single person is made in the image of God, which means for every single person, we should desire justice and righteousness. For every single person to experience the beauty and the goodness of God in that. And so for us to recognize the Prince of Peace, again, this uh, this isn't just for us to be like, man, I feel so warm and fuzzy, feel so just tranquil. First and foremost, it is this larger reconciliation that we are brought back to God. But secondly, the Prince of Peace is bringing a reign, a, a, a new reign of righteousness and justice. And so I want to encourage you, if you felt um, a righteous anger or indignation, if you felt an unsettledness of like, man, the world is not how it should be. But this is part of the Christmas message is not only did Jesus come to bring that, but we are called to follow in his footsteps to be people who bring about God's righteousness and justice in the world. And Jesus is our example. If you're ever curious, like, well, how do you do that? 
Read the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus. See how he came and what he did to the marginalized, the oppressed, those whose society he had brought low, those who were not the religious elite or the wealthy, and watch how Jesus engages them. What is he doing? Mishpat and Sedeca, righteousness and justice. And so for us as followers of Jesus, followers of the Prince of Peace, he's inviting us into that. This is why Matthew 5, 9, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So if we want to live into our adopted nature, being children of God, one of the ways that we can signify that we're living out our, our status as children of God is being peacemakers. It's bringing about shalom, putting things in their right order, bringing about justice and righteousness. And so I want to, if you've been engaging in that fight, if you've been engaging in that desire in our broken world to make sure that people feel seen and known and loved and that there's justice, thank you. You're participating in a large part of the Christmas story, the incarnation that God in his divinity left the glory that he was deserved and became a man and a servant and served those around him. What a beautiful invitation this Christmas season. So again, the Prince of Peace promises reconciliation. The Prince of Peace produces righteousness and justice. And lastly, the Prince of Peace provides rest. One of my favorite parts of this passage in Isaiah chapter 9 is the very last line of verse 7 when it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I think there's a tendency um, within our human nature and our human condition to to want to ask the question, what do I need to accomplish for this to happen? Everything I just described, the reconciliation that we have at a cosmic level, the restoration of justice and righteousness at a social level, um, at a relational level, this, this ends with this promise, says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And it doesn't mean that we don't participate in it, but there is something that we have to recognize that at the heart of the Christmas story, is not a story about how you work harder, you do more, you accomplish more. The heart of the Christmas story is that the zeal of the Lord accomplished this. It was God's initiative, motivated by love, to leave his heavenly throne, to be born as an infant. What a scandalous thought. The creator of the universe, the one who holds all of the stars and knows every single cell in our body, the one who can speak and create universes, became a weak infant, completely dependent on the creature he created. This is is the, the incredible beautiful yet sometimes hard to fathom reality of the Christmas story, of the nativity story, is that the peace that God came to bring was on his initiative. And here's the good news. When we recognize that it is the zeal of the Lord, not the effort of man, that will accomplish peace, it provides rest. 
I mean, literally go ahead right now and just breathe in and out and recognize that the longings you have for righteousness and justice, for peace, for shalom, is something that God has initiated, that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. And then through that, he invites us into his work. But it is not because of our work. This is simply a response to his work that he's come, it's his zeal that has accomplished this. That that wording, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Um, this talk of a prince of peace and a government of peace um, would, have, would have sent a hyperlink to an early Isra- um, kind of uh, Israelite uh, mind back to a story in Numbers. So again, if, again, this was written obviously thousands of years ago. The original audience who would have heard the words of Isaiah, when they heard Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, would have had a memory to a story in Numbers. And I want to read this story to you. It's, it's, and in verse 10 in Numbers chapter 25, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, Son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So Phineas is this priest who is, who's just done this radical act um, of wanting to bring about purity and righteousness in the camp. It says, it says, has turned my anger away from the Israelites since he was zealous for my honor among them as I am. I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making, this is a covenant of peace with him with this, this, this guy Phineas, Phineas the priest, grandson of Aaron, the, 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 the first priest under the Mosaic law. So God is making this covenant of peace with Phineas. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was what zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Um, chances are you maybe have never even heard that that strange story in Numbers chapter 25, verses 10 through 13. But the Israelites who would have heard this story in Isaiah 9 would have known that story. There is this guy named Phineas who out of his zeal for the Lord came and does this, um, this wild act because he wants the purity of God. And, and in the middle of that, God stops and says, listen, because of your zeal, I'm going to make a covenant of peace because of the, um, he was zealous for the honor of God, which made atonement for the Israelites. I mean, catch this. Phineas was a signpost to the ultimate one who would come in his zeal, would come and make a permanent covenant of peace and provide atonement for God's people. And this is why Isaiah picking up, I'm, I'm thinking on that story is God is saying, listen, there's a child coming that how Phineas was temporarily for the people of Israel, this coming Messiah, this child that's being born is going to be a permanent version of that who will come in his own zeal, his own sacrifice, his own radical act of love, and he will come and the zeal in his heart is going to accomplish a new permanent covenant of peace through atonement. And this is why that last verse says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this is so powerful because we get to what? Rest. 
This is ultimately a work of Jesus. Peace is not something that comes just because we practice mindfulness or we heard a good podcast or we sit on the beach or we do yoga. Peace happens. True peace happens because Jesus came. It is the zeal of the Lord that comes and provides peace. And so, and when we recognize that, we get to rest. It's no longer by works. We get to rest that even if I'm faithless, God is still faithful. We get to rest that it is by grace and grace alone. We get to rest in the fact that no matter what's going on in the world around us and what is going on on my newsfeed and social media and the uncertainty and the angst that I'm feeling, oh, Jesus has accomplished this. I get to rest. This is at a personal and at a soul level. Because the God of the universe came as a baby. I get to experience peace. J.I. Packer says this, It is here, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the most profound, unfathomable, unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. God became man. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. So just, just to overview, would we remember that the, the Prince of Peace promises reconciliation? He's bringing us back in right relationship with God. Let's remember that the Prince of Peace came to bring about righteousness and justice in the world that is experiencing the aftershocks of sin. And lastly, the Prince of Peace comes and he provides rest he reminds us, the incarnation reminds us, the Christmas story reminds us, oh, this is God at work. He is the one who's faithful to complete what he started, it says in Philippians chapter 1. So this is what I would like for us to do. I would like for us to, um, this is the first Sunday in December, we're going to be taking communion together. So if you have some bread or juice or wine at home, that would be a great time. Uh, to come and just gather the, the elements and the material. You can press pause on this. And what we're going to do is we're going to drink from the cup and eat from the bread. And all of these things, what they represent is peace. Peace with God. Peace um, around those that are at the table with us. And a peace within because it's him that has done the work and not us. Isaiah 26 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. Isaiah 26, 12 says, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. So Lord, we thank you for the bread and the cup. Lord, thank you that this is what you have done for us. And Lord, I I know so many of us are feeling the lack of peace in our own mental health, in our social environments, in our political environments. Um, but thank you, Lord God, that the promise still stands. You're the Prince of Peace. God, you've made a way for us to be reconciled to God. God, thank you that you're the Prince of Peace. You've come to bring about righteousness and justice. God, thank you that we can rest Lord, that he who began a good work is going to carry it to completion, not only in us, but in the world. 
Lord, that you right now are working in us, through us, and for us. And so, Lord, as we take the bread and the cup, Lord, we are reminded, Lord Jesus, that it is you who have done it. It is the zeal of the Lord that has brought us peace. So, God, I pray that every, everything from our relationships to the world, literally to our own mental and emotional well-being, would be overcome and overwhelmed by your peace right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the gospel, the good news of what Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. <laughs>